0: Hey Fresh Capital listeners, in this episode, we're returning to our Aussie roots and looking at Appen. Once one of Australia's growing tech darlings, Appen has slumped over the last two years from a high of $43 to less than $7 today. What's gone wrong with Appen? Albert and I explain it in this week's episode. This is a great listen to better understand the growing artificial intelligence industry and to just get what people mean when they talk about machine learning. Keep listening and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan. Joining me in Canberra this weekend, Albert, how are you doing?
1: Dan, happy Easter. When this, um, when this drops, happy Easter. I'm good. How are you going?
0: Doing well, doing well. It's sort of a sunny day here, which is obviously nice. It's good to lift the mood and whatnot. But big news has has broken, Albert. And since we've stopped doing the simple sprouts, we we haven't really had an outlet for it. So do you want to give me a a 30-second bit of a hot take or your take on Elon Musk trying to acquire Twitter?
1: Yeah, I think uh, overall terrible move. I, I, I think Elon is just doing it either to show, you know, he can flex himself a bit. Or he's just trying to manipulate his holdings within Twitter. You know, he's he's bought at a much lower price. News of him buying has increased it. Um, you know, now he's kind of threatening to to reconsider his position. So I think this is just a bit of market manipulation for Elon personally.
0: Wow, what a strong claim, Albert. That is that is a hot take. Um, I, I don't think I have a particularly strong view. We were talking about Twitter offline, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And after our episode, I think we both really, really liked the direction it was heading. This is is a bit of a grenade launched into the mix of it. So hopefully, they can get back on track with some of their uh, sort of lofty revenue targets and their strategy because uh, they were looking good, and this is obviously thrown, uh, yeah, grenade into the mix.
1: This is funny because when we would, when we did the Twitter episode, a big key theme was now that Jack's out, Parade can really focus on. Um, building yes. the business and trying to achieve that and not have any of the noise that surrounds the business you know trump's no longer president like there's a lot of noise around twitter and that noise is, was stripped away with all the recent changes and now the noise is back
0: yeah that's a perfect way of putting it um but that is not the uh, company that's under the spotlight for this week's episode we're talking about Appen, which, Albert, this is the first time we've gone back to the ASX, back to our home turf in what feels like a really, really long time. At a point, this was probably one of Australia's most exciting companies. The shine has come off it. So for those that don't know, Appen provides or improves data used for the development of machine learning and artificial intelligence products, which makes it you know, the perfect company or business to sell its services to Google, Facebook, and some of these really, really big tech companies, uh, but they've had you know some trouble over the last year or so. They haven't met their profit guidance, their revenue targets, uh, and just generally, there's been some changes in the market, which has really affected them. Albert, I'm really keen to dive into Appen. Do you have anything off the top that you want to get out of the way?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think let's quickly just characterize what they do when it comes to machine learning and AI. And we, we can talk about specifically how AI and machine learning works because, you know, I think it's still a bit of a nebulous topic for a lot of people, who especially who don't play into space. Uh, so um, Appen, uh, they describe themselves as providing data for the AI lifecycle, so they've mapped this out really nicely in the annual report. Um, so in order to actually do or build a machine learning or AI platform, there are generally four key steps. First is you've got to source a bunch of different uh, data points, and so uh, what Appen do is they've got this platform and they've got expertise that lets them source the right pieces of information in order to build a machine learning model. They then prepare the data, so the data often comes you know in structured uh, forms, you know in a nice spreadsheet or you know in a nice Excel model or R model or whatever, or it can come in really unstructured forms, whether it's like tweets, pictures, videos, etc. Um, and then prepare that data. Uh, The third part is then someone builds an algorithm and a model to then train um, a machine using the data. Appen don't do that. They just um, collect the data and prepare it, and then one of their customers, like Google or Facebook, um, then build the models, and then they then test the different models. That's really at a high level how machine learning gets done. And Appen really play at the data collection phase and then testing the model against their data that they've provided.
0: Yeah, so let's get into an example. Like a typical task for Appen is they have, you know, a request from a business, let's say it's a self-driving car business where they want to train a car to be able to recognize stop signs on the street. So that's that's the project. Appen has got, you know, about a million people which are sort of like Casual workforce, so they really try and emphasise that this is a flexible work job. You know, a bit of side cash or really easy money, um, and basically they send through all these images to this workforce, who then tag it. So the the request might be tag every image with a stop sign in it. They do so, and in that way, they're preparing the data so that when it gets back to the self-driving car company, they can feed that into their algorithm. That's good data which trains the algorithm to recognize which images contain a stop sign, which do not. And then that output that that comes from that training is you have self-driving cars which can recognize street signs on the roads. So a really easy example and a really important one. And I think what we need to draw out here, Albert, is like this is quite an intensive exercise like this is not what companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon want to be doing. They don't want to be dealing with hundreds of thousands of casual workers doing this real menial grunt work. That's what Appen really steps in and is a great business is that they manage all of that. They can then spit out really good data and that's all that these big companies, big tech companies want to deal. With. They just want to deal with the data as soon as possible and that's what Appen lets them do.
1: Yeah, this is this is like their bread and butter um, as a company, and you know they call themselves a tech company, but they're really just a services business. Like they've got you know people on seats out there collecting data, tagging data, filtering it, sorting it, etc., in order for someone at one of their clients to utilize in a model. And then we were talking about you know why doesn't one of these companies just in-house um, you know this data collection. But if you're a Google or Facebook, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get all the best data scientists to come to your business. And they're the people who are actually going to build the models and build the machines rather than hiring a bunch of people to then tag different pieces of data or sort through, um, you know, images. Like to use your example of autonomous vehicles, if you're trying to train an autonomous vehicle to self-drive, that is a monumental task. And one of the tasks is to recognize stop signs. Now, a problem with stop signs is stop signs aren't the same around the world. They're different colors, they're different shapes. You know, They're, they're circular, they're triangular, or whatever. Um, they can be on any different sides of the road. They can be different colors, different languages. So you've got to have someone go through and tag all, all these data sets that to show that this is a stop sign. And then Google and Facebook and the data scientists will then build an algorithm or a robot Um, for lack of a better word, to then predict using that data whether something's a stop sign or not. And where Appen come in is they can provide the data, they can evaluate the model against that data. But Google and Facebook don't want to be hiring employees to do data tagging because it's such a low-value task. And you're right, this is where Appen come in and that's their bread and butter.
0: And and that's a really good call-out that Appen really is a global business, like... Uh, sometimes when I'm doing searches for jobs in Indonesia, one of the most common hits for that is Appen because in a lot of their job ads, they're targeting people in Indonesia for Indonesia-specific um, data tasks. Same with like Philippines, other areas in Asia. They're very big in America as well. So like they're obviously data is worldwide. They are finding people in particular localities so that they can get the proper training or the right data to train the algorithm. So it is a very like resource-intensive business and very specific business. And just to sort of like wrap up this sort of quick intro into what Appen is, a couple other sort of generic tasks which they will do, things like listen to audio files, categorize the audio and check the pre-filled transcription. Obvious use case would be a business like Spotify, Uh, they really need that data and that information to make sure that those features in their platform and in their app are correct. Uh, Uploading pictures of your car's dashboard, I found this one a really interesting one. The the actual task there is they're just using or leveraging their large user base to collect lots and lots of data, which then can be sent to particular companies who who might just need a really large data set uh, of what people's cars and the interior and things look like. Um, and another version of that is providing prompted audio recordings. And this is a really obvious use case for uh, things like Alexa, Siri, um, you know, Apple Siri, these sorts of ones where you're using voice prompts. Oh, what's the weather today, Siri? Those sorts of things. You need a really strong catalog of user-generated data to then be able to train those apps to then pick up those cues and respond in a proper proper way.
1: I think just just quickly, we probably should just break out um, their two key products. So I can have, you know, two, I guess, product segments is what we want to call it, but they're really services segments. Uh, The first is called relevance, and this basically makes up, you know, the majority of their revenue around 80-ish percent of what they do, and this is their data tagging. It predominantly works for search, social media, and e-commerce as businesses. And when, you know, we say relevance, They help train data models to understand is this a relevant outcome for my search. So, for example, if you search, um, you know, say coffee in in Google Images or Google Search uh, and it comes up with, you know, a bunch of different pictures of coffee beans, coffee mugs, etc., someone in app and as in a person will tag all those things as relevant. And if, if there's a search that comes up as like, say, chocolate, someone will tag that as not relevant. And so you can then start to build a machine that anytime someone searches coffee, it'll only show the relevant things. In the same way that if you search for, um, you know, like a t-shirt on the iconic, it'll come up with all the relevant things. Someone's actually tagged in the data set in the background, what's not relevant and what's relevant. And the other thing is uh, speech and images. So I think we've kind of talked about tagging pictures of, you know, stop lights and stop signs Um, going through videos, they also do text analysis. You know, in YouTube where you've got the the subtitles and Netflix, you've got the subtitles, like they go through and write subtitles and text for different videos so that when the speech and the audio is heard, that Appen's machines or the machines built on these data sets can then link a voice or audio to a particular text. And relevance is, like, really, really not competitive as a market. Like, it's actually really hard to do relevance at scale because you need a lot of people doing a lot of tagging. And so, that's why Appens kind of rose up globally from Australia is because this is a business that it's really hard to compete in, uh, whereas speech and images is, is significantly much easier to compete in because you've only got, you know, one or two different things you need to tag. It's very low level. Here's a picture of a stop sign. Here's a picture of a stop sign.
0: Yeah, and I think this is a good way to pivot into the next part of the conversation, Albert, which is where Appen is maybe falling down at the moment and where a lot of analysts have criticized them and their, their share price has sort of plummeted over the last two years is this idea that they're not particularly diversified. So they're, they're very project-specific um, in the sense that they're very sensitive to the projects they've been tasked to do. And one of their first really big drops in value coincided with uh, Apple's iOS changes, where it prevents or it gives users the opportunity to opt out of having their actions and behaviors tracked across different apps. And it was something like 87% of people basically opted out of that. So that's a huge hit to that data source that Apple was getting. And Facebook said, you know, that basically affected them to the tune of about $10 billion of expected revenue. So it's really, really, really big. And where Apple probably was was working in that area it would be, like you said, Albert, that sort of like relevance testing it would be data such as our users typing so-and-so into Google or a different app. Uh, is this product relevant to that? And being able to sort of create that data set so that Facebook could then feed that onto advertisers who would then know this particular user has been searching XYZ. These are the products that we can um, show to them which are relevant and likely to be successful forms of advertising. That all sort of got wiped away. And now in 2000, or so last year in 2021, about 97 of sort of the 100 projects which Appen was starting with customers were not advertising related. They are looking to more this like self-driving vehicles. They're really starting to look into Asia and China. So I think the, the question is, Albert, have they sort of been wrong footed and are they able to correct themselves? Do we see them getting back onto the horse in terms of uh, their projects back on track, of uh, really firm expectations for revenue in the future? Because at the moment it feels a little bit, um, it looks a bit varied, it looks a little bit unsettled.
1: This is a worthwhile thing to call out, like as anyone does some sort of analysis, is looking at like customer concentration risk. And like Appen have a business unit called Global Markets that just services five customers. Like that is incredible concentration for any company that if you've got five customers who contribute the majority of your business, like if one of those customers churns or, you know, you sly one of the customers or the key buyer decision maker who said that we're going to use Appen as our provider leaves, like that is a huge risk. I think it's worth calling out Dan though that even though this iOS change has impacted their business and the projects that they work on, like Appen still grew in revenue. So while you know there's a bit of an impact on the projects they worked on, they did manage to pivot very quickly, and I think that's the strength of their kind of freelancer workforce, is that they can quickly go and attach to different projects and work with a range of different customers and not have to worry about. Um, you know, the the margin that they carry or the people that they have to pay who may not be utilised because they predominantly rely on freelance workforce. So revenue still grew, not by much though, by by 8%. You know, they're about a $400 million US business. Um, So even though there is a bit of risk and, you know, there's been changes to who their customer base is and what they do, like they still managed to grow in the right direction.
0: A key concern for me about this question of growth is what seems to be the obvious question, uh, which is you're paying users, freelancers to process this data, uh, and they and it's basically either an hourly rate or it's a per task rate. Like so, for every task, I've seen some where it's like they get twenty three cents per task, and because there's a lot of tasks, so they're just churning through. It, it can add up. Others, others, it's about twenty dollars an hour, um, and those sorts of things. But that kind of fee structure. Is somewhat difficult to scale with a good margin. Like the best, the better way of doing that would be instead of having, you know, someone go through a million images and paying them for every image they go through, is you get them to go through 10,000 images and then you have a machine that learns from that first 10,000 and processes the rest, you know, 900 odd thousand images for a much lesser cost. And my concern here, Albert, is like that takes you into a territory where essentially you're just replicating what the end user is going to do, what the Google, Facebooks, et cetera, are going to do. And I don't think Apple has really set themselves up to do it as much as they say they want to be a tech company. I just haven't seen that evolution to them over the last couple of years.
1: I think this is a really annoying thing about this business is they really do try to hide what they are. And so if you look at their gross margin, they say their gross margin is the same as their revenue, so they're at 100% gross margin. And, you know, they've obviously accounted for costs elsewhere in the business. And the reason that they do that is they actually are trying to hide the fact that they're a services business. And, you know, this is like an accounting thing where people can choose what goes into gross margin or COGS versus operating. It's really annoying, actually. But yeah, they are trying to hide it. I think you're right, Dan. Though that they do need to think about how they productize internally. I think the challenge to that is it is obviously very hard to build machine learning platforms to then do. I'm going to tag this as a hot dog. You know that's a very rudimentary example um, because you need all the data, but also you just need machine products are trained for a very very specific problem. And so what Appen is doing is they've got generalists and these people doing. The tagging so that someone who is much smarter and at a high, operates at a higher level within the value chain of AI can then take this data and build it. And so, if Appen want to do that, they then need to recruit these people who build internal products for Appen. And I don't know whether they just can't do that, which is why their business model is stated kind of a services level.
0: But is that, is that a concern for you, Albert, that that's not happening? Or do you see it like, I guess another way of phrasing the question is, can they be successful if they just stay as a services business?
1: I think there's always going to be a limit to their growth, right? I think the problem yeah. with Appen as a business is that you can't undercut the people that they hire as freelancers or take on board as exactly. freelancers yeah. because they need to ensure the quality of the tagging. Because as soon as you start incorrectly tagging something, that's their core product that looks badly on them. And they've got five customers, like that's incredible concentration risk. So, they actually need to ensure that the people they pay are going to do a really good job, which then means that there's always going to be price pressure on their business, which then restricts the margin, which is probably why they're hiding their margin in manual
0: reports. Okay, Albert, what do you want to hit next?
1: You know, we just talked about this point around like margin pressures with Appin. Um, You know, there's always going to be that tension between how much they pay people and then internally how their business performs. I think it's worth kind of bringing out though that they've got this huge network of about a million freelancers. And the reason why people use Appen is they just have this enormous scale in order to do machine learning tagging. So if you're a business and you hire Appen or you contract Appen for their data tagging services, you already want to build a machine learning product or a robot to solve a very specific problem. So one of those problems might be, how do I drive? How do I build a self-driving car? Or how do I ensure that, you know, someone finds the right t-shirt every time they search through my e-commerce website. And so when it comes to solving one of these problems, you need a very specific data set. And then to tag that data set, you need a very specific expertise. And so for, something like labeling, stop signs, that's really easy because most people know how to do that. But if you're trying to do something incredibly complex, like working out whether you know the news in Spain when it comes to COVID statistics is relevant or not relevant, you need to hire someone who has that expertise in order to tag the relevant data sets. And so, the reason why Appen is so successful is they have that scale. Like They've just got all these people with potentially the right expertise to their tag models or data sets for models. And that's what's made them successful is that just the sheer amount of people who could work for that. And that's why people use them because if you're someone like Google or Facebook and you've got to work through all these different algorithms for all these different problems, like trying to source the right experts or the right expertise or not the right experts are, to do data labeling and tagging is going to be really difficult.
0: Yeah, so this is probably a good point to talk about Appen Mobile and I guess some of the internal things that Appen has done to make it successful. What became apparent to me as I was sort of doing the research is they're almost like a seek or like a jobs board, you know, where um, they basically set up, they, they do advertise through um, job platforms, job search platforms, but once you're sort of in their ecosystem, you sign up with, you know, your name, your gender, some, you know, pretty key sort of features, age, et cetera, so that they can get an understanding of some of your sort of key demographics, um, which is then going to be useful for some of the tasks that they're going to have you do. And then up in your feed will basically pop all of the potential freelance job opportunities that you can apply for through the app and mobile or through the app and platform, and um, And in that, it's just like a job description. It'll tell you what the project is. You know, we have to sift through a million images looking for stop signs. You'll be paid 50 cents per image that you review. Um, And then within that little job ad, just like any other job ad, you'll have, you know, required skills, required competencies. And usually those are pretty basic. Those are things like language, English, Indonesian, Chinese, you know being very, very specific. Sometimes it'll be about like the task. So if they need you to upload images, then it'll say, you know, you'll need to have a handheld um, device, something with a good quality camera. Sometimes you might need a stylus and things like that. But basically so it sort of just has whatever requirements you need. That's that expertise part you're talking about, Albert. Um, and then you can apply. And from the looks of things for some of the low-hanging fruit where You know, they don't really need skilled work. It'll basically just sort of put you straight through into the program. Others, I assume there's someone who's vetting each applicant and then sort of saying, yes, this person's in for this particular project. But it's very, very seamless. So like I can see why people who maybe want a part-time job or just some freelance work on the side find this a very frictionless experience to very quickly sign up to some work and get, you know, 50 bucks, get 200 bucks for the weekend doing that activity. That's where they've been successful is just making that process very easy for someone to do these tasks.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And the fact that they've got a million people on their platform shows how easy it is for them to onboard onto um, Appen as a platform. I think the challenge is when you kind of strip Appen out, it really just is this like machine learning Platform where people can come in and do data labeling and tagging, and obviously they've got people that they've vetted. And something that they do is like give people levels, like they've gamified the platform, so that as you become an expert in like uh, automotive or health or government or whatever, you can start to build a reputation on the platform. So that when these projects come up, you can be on them. You can do higher value things, like maybe you'll be tagging tires, then you'll be tagging other parts, and then maybe you're, you're doing really complex tagging based on your expertise for automotive companies. So Appen have got, you know, they've really gamified and built this platform out. But when you've got other platforms for contract and freelance work coming up, you know, Upwork, you've got Fiverr, you've got all these other businesses, you know, you've got, um, you know, some pretty big, um, you know, HR tech businesses who are enabling hiring at scale globally. Like you've got to wonder whether Appen is still going to be the right platform in the future for this kind of grunt work, for lack of a better word.
0: I, I don't think it will. I don't, I don't see that as an issue because I think they're not really in that ecosystem. Like for me, Fiverr and stuff is, is really about creative industries. People go there because they want someone to do them a design for five bucks or you know, an advertisement or something like that. So I think they're, they're playing in sort of a niche space. From my sort of going down into the wormhole, it's kind of funny. There's this whole community out of it of people who sort of take surveys Yeah, you know, i don't know if you've seen this trend but you know um lots of companies want user generated data and so there's all these sort of surveys maybe if you've i'm not saying you have al but if you ever tried to pirate anything usually some of the pop-ups are related to taking you know these surveys and things and that's how uh, Wouldn't know, i've never
1: have never been targeted <laughs> for one of those surveys because i've just never pirated anything
0: uh, I, I remember in uni i actually Uh, signed up for some survey type businesses, yet sort of 20 bucks per survey you fill out. So it can be, I mean, relatively lucrative in the sense of being a university student trying to earn a few extra bucks. That's sort of where Appen is playing in with this sort of freelance work. My concern is just the margins of that getting squeezed. We're in a high inflation environment. That means cost of living pressures are there for people, arguably that might mean that they have to actually increase the amount they pay these users for these tasks, which would directly then cut into their margins for the data, for the, rather for the money they receive from these companies to process their data. So that to me is, is the major concern. And just to get out of the way before we miss it, uh, their services are across 292 languages in over 70,000 locations and 170 countries. That's their sort of million strong uh freelance workforce. So it is sizable.
1: Yeah, it, there's always going to be that margin pressure because their customers will never want to pay because they don't see this as high value work. Like Google yeah, and Facebook don't right. see this as like, this is like a really meaningful and valuable service that you're providing in the same way they'll hire, like a consultant who will advise like, you know, C-suite on where, where they should allocate capital. Like this is just like the mundane data tagging. So there's going to be pressure from the customer, pricing pressure from the customer, but unfortunately, Apple can't pass that same pricing pressure down onto their freelancers because they need them to do a good job. And I'm sure they, can, they are looking to improve that margin, um, you know, by moving into different freelance types or, or looking at different demographics and, you know, where they source their freelancers to see if, you know, labor costs are different in different countries, which lets them get around it. Um, but ultimately, like, it's just one of those, like, unless they productize, like, there's always going to be a bit of margin pressure. Or they go to other providers or other customer bases, which is what they've tried to do now with their new markets segment um, where it's more like product-led, they're talking to health, they're talking to government, who probably won't apply the same amount of pressure because they just don't have the capabilities themselves.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. But then uh, that just moves into a whole nother question of do they have the sales expertise to pull off um, that sort of product-led growth? structure and i don't i don't really know if they do i haven't clearly if they've only got five sort of core customers that points to a potential failure (laughs) in the sales team really (laughs) getting people on board and through the door
1: it's like one of those those startups where the ceo does all the sales for a bit and then they just never trade any salespeople. so now they've only got five customers (laughs) now they've only got five customers and just a bunch of people who are just doing data tagging
0: All right, Albert, there's one discussion point which we were having offline that I want to bring into this episode. And this is this question between, I guess, different ways of addressing a machine learning business. So just to give some context on this, let's do a quick uh, artificial intelligence machine learning 101. So lots of people hear these terms thrown around. Artificial intelligence is the umbrella term that encompasses lots of different technologies, including machine learning. In its simplest terms, AI is just, you know, a machine that can mimic human intelligence. Most AI in the world is what is known as sort of weak or narrow AI, which is that it can only complete one task. So a really good example of this is the like chess playing AI. Uh, a famous one is called Deep Blue. There's like stockfish. These are computers which, or algorithms which are very, very good at playing chess, but they can't do anything else. So it's, it's a weak AI, and most um, AI applications are similar. They're really good at doing a singular task, not very good at doing anything else. Machine learning is a subset of the artificial intelligence field, and it's all about teaching computers or algorithms to do that specific task that we were just sort of talking about. And this is where Appen obviously plays because the way to teach a machine is through a process called supervised learning where you provide them a data set. You provide the the algorithm of the data set which is labeled with particular features. The machine then can churn through that data and then predict potential outcomes You can then review that data, that that outcome, and say, you know, I got 70% of it right. Here's new data again until it just sort of, the benchmark increases and its accuracy rate um, is, is good enough for its purposes. That training sort of model is where I think there's a bit of a divergence in the industry. Appen says focus on the data. Like when we're trying to train this machine, we want to make sure that the data going into it is as good as possible because then that means that if your algorithm's good after the first pass with good data maybe it's going to be 90% accurate and that's just like the most efficient way for us to tackle this problem. The divergent view is to say let's not worry so much about the data let's just have really really smart developers make a really really good algorithm and then you can give us you know pretty poor data but because our algorithm's so good that's going to get it to the 90% accuracy mark the fastest so let's focus on investing in the people who actually build the model i'm curious on where this leaves appen in a potential world where the data sorry the, the developer or model centric approach wins out because my i can't speak my sneaking suspicion Albert is that tech people will view this as a tech problem, which should be addressed by the model-centric approach of like, let's just get really clever developers to work out this model rather than let's get a million people tagging this data and feeding into our algorithms. What do you think about that?
1: When I, when I was in consulting, we had this saying every time we build a model, it's trash in, trash out. Like if you have really bad quality data to build a model, you're going to have a really bad quality result, no matter how correct your calculations are in the model. And so, if for anyone who is building a model, the focus should always be the data and the quality of data because the data will then dictate what the outcomes are going to be. So, you can have the best quality model in terms of the algorithms, you know, how you've built it. But if you've trained the machine on really poor quality data or mislabeled data, regardless of how good your algorithm is, is it's going to be a trash model because trash in, trash out, like you've now trained the model on the worst quality data. So I think a data-centric view is going to win out because it just leads to better quality inputs, which means you're going to have better quality outputs. That's that's the the short answer to that question.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's what happens sort of building their, their service around, and they've sort of, they basically said that this split, ideally, you should take 80% of your time and resources on data preparation, and then the actual sort of model development, et cetera, is about 20%. Um, that obviously is self, self-serving. self They would prefer companies like Google Amazon to spend 80% of their budget on the data preparation because that's where they play. Uh, but it gives you an idea of like how even just a movement along that curve of if Google, Amazon, Facebook decide to allocate their priorities a little bit differently, allocate a bit more of their budget towards their in-house developers, that can really affect Apple's business, and it's just an interesting one to to watch out for. Now, before we finish up, Albert, you wanted to talk uh, a little bit about you know the public sentiment of Apple. it has gone to some dips on the stock market. So, so what do you want to talk about there?
1: I think this is one of those businesses where sentiment has really driven performance. Like sentiment in the market has really driven performance. Like Appin has misguidance, um which you know has then caused investor sentiment to drop, leading to a pretty big decline in the share price you know over the past kind of twelve months, even even longer than that now. But when you look at Appin and where the business is growing,' going, you know it's still growing despite a lot of change that's made you know, it's going through restructures and you can see that in the annual report, but revenue is still up and it's it's up more than GDP. So, you know, overall, this business is growing. They've got a really healthy balance sheet with a lot of cash. They've got no debt. Like, yes, the business model is not great, but overall, this is still a healthy business. And where you can, when you consider where they play, which is they actually have to do the work that just needs to get done, there's always going to be a place for Appen or a business like Appen globally, and it's hard to do. So they've got this like weird moat-esque thing. I'm not going to say it's a moat, but they've almost got a moat in what their business is. Healthy balance sheet, still growing. Like I think this is just one of those businesses where you need to strip away the narrative and just look at like fundamentally how is the business performing and where does it play? Because as more and more people build machine learning models, someone needs to train the data and app and other people who you go to in order to train the data.
0: Yeah, I think that's really pragmatic. And that was my first gut reaction as well. Is that when I looked at the business, I think, wow, the fundamentals are all still there. They've got a really complex business in a way. Like it's not easy to have a freelance workforce of like a million people, and they've locked that in, and they've locked that in for years now. So that that's a really big strength of the business. My concern is just that like, how is that not translated into more sales? And like, I know you're saying like, it's still growing out, but, but like, it, it's not growing in a way where I would, I would expect it to be. I would expect it to be growing at a much higher clip, bringing on more customers. Arguably, like the pandemic just hit it at the worst possible time um, with advertising dollars plummeting. That was a core part of its business. So it spent the last couple of years transitioning away to non-advertising fields. Some of these hiccups with Apple and stuff in America, they started to transition away to China. So I think the optimistic way of viewing it would be like they've just spent the last couple of years transitioning away from these blips and now they're sort of primed to really hit their stride in these new areas. But there's just... Just, there's nothing for me to hang my hat on. Like there's nothing where I can point to and say they're now on the upward trajectory. And that's just a bit concerning. Like that's why I think the narrative has such a, like it's a, it's a blanket over the entire company, as you say, Albert. So And whether that's fair or not, we just don't know until like a little bit more comes out. And you mentioned, Albert, they're not the most transparent business, which I think is also contributing to this um, hesitancy surrounding them.
1: Yeah, I think there's a place for Appen in becoming the like autonomous vehicle provider. Like that's where they're really now restructured their business to do um, autonomous vehicle tagging. And so, you know, we've talked about you know lidar and sensors and all the different ways that you can have self driving cars. Like they're working with a lot of car manufacturers, and these car manufacturers aren't gonna do this themselves. Like you definitely know that Ford, Tesla, et cetera, aren't going to do this themselves because their core competency is in car manufacturing and not machine learning. So I think there is room for a company like Apen to play in that value chain and be a very big player because cars are a huge market.
0: Yeah, actually, I hadn't thought about that. That's a great point because if you think about who the players were in the last couple of years, you have – google of their self-driving car i think it's what's it's waymo or something like that yeah um, waymo you've got tesla obviously but now like all of the old players are getting into the game with ford gm um volkswagen etc so that that potentially could be a wave that they ride in for sure all right albert verdict
1: you know i, I like apen as a business because i i think you know it, like i said it's it's got a place in the value chain. There's always going to be restrictions on its growth. Um and so I don't know whether this is a business that you look at being like, this is going to be all the upside that I'm going to get, because it doesn't have the same upside as like an Amazon or a Google or a Twitter or a Roblox or whatever. Um but I think you can look at the trends in AI and you, you can look at the customers that they're, you know, now moving into and working with and see that there is some value there. And at the moment, they're really low because sentiment's really low. Maybe maybe there's a bit of upside.
0: Yeah, I think my verdict. My verdict is it's all about expectations management with Appen. I think it's a really solid business. Fundamentals are very very good. At its core, though, it's mischaracterized as a tech business because because I don't think you can expect the upside of a tech business, the margins, the growth trajectory. Because it clearly isn't. It's clearly a services business, and you know, it's got lumped together in uh, the ASX WAX shares, which are you know the equivalent of um, what was it used to be called? It's now Mango shares, but what was it?
1: Mango. Oh, Fang.
0: It used to be the Fang stocks. You know, the big tech companies in America: Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, etc. Sort of the the top tech stocks in Australia were WAX, which is sort of the acronym of them, but they're not a tech business. Um, so I would say for, for anyone interested, you just sort of have to have that lens. I think it's a good business, but you have to expect that it's not going to perform like a tech business because it isn't one.
1: Yes, it's a services business and they compete with other services businesses. So I think it's just worth remembering that if anyone looks into Appen.
0: All right, Albert. Let's finish up there. We're going to go grab some lunch later, seeing as we're in the same place. Uh, But for everyone else out there, thanks for listening. We'll catch you again next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder... All information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.